0: We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. And I want us uh, to look at verses 23 to 26 as we think of the Lord's Supper proclaiming the Lord's death. The Lord's Supper proclaiming the Lord's death. The Lord's Supper at Corinth was condemned by the Apostle Paul on two grounds. First, he condemned the so-called Lord's Supper because it was a perversion of the reality. He condemned it in the second place because there was a contempt for the poor, especially by the rich. And so here in 1 Corinthians 11 and verses 17 to 22, we're told in the first place that the church at Corinth perverted, the Lord's Supper. And so, as we read from verse 17, uh, the the apostle makes it clear. He says, now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. You have perverted, he says to them clearly, the Lord's Supper, treating it like an ordinary meal. An ordinary meal designed to satisfy your hunger, that which you are supposed to do in your homes before coming. The church comes together, as it were, to worship the true and the living God and to celebrate his given ordinances here in the scriptures and not for the purposes of just eating and drinking and entertainment. (laughs) So he says you have perverted it. And I cannot praise you for that. In the second place, he says, the rich among you show contempt for the poor. They do not wait for one another so that at the end, some have too much and others have very little. They treat the poor, the rich amongst you, treat the poor as if they are unfit to partake of the meal with them. That's how they treat the poor. Amongst you there. Yet, these poor people are God's chosen people. They're those who have been saved by grace, those who have been made kings and priests unto God Himself. These are the ones that they have contempt for. And in verse 22, He says, they despise the church of God. This is what they're doing, despising the church of God. They shamed those who have nothing. And these are those who are the people that are highly honored of God. You cannot do that, he says. So as we look at the Lord's Supper, and as we see it as proclaiming the Lord's death this morning, I want us to consider three things from this portion of scripture that I've mentioned. In the first place, I want us to look, see the inspiration of the Lord. Inspiration of the Lord. Secondly, instruction from the Lord. And then thirdly, we'll look at application by Apostle Paul. So these are the three things we'll be considering. First of all, inspiration of the Lord. In... In thinking of this gross misconduct at the Lord's Supper, there at Corinth, the Apostle Paul saw that that situation demanded a reminder of the original and indeed the authoritative teaching of the Lord concerning the Lord's Supper. And he gives it. This is what it does. In order that these people who are perverted, These people who are holding God's people with contempt, in order that they may be drawn back to the reality and the truth of what the Lord's Supper is all about, the Apostle Paul wanted to bring them back and to remind them of the original and the authoritative teaching of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he writes in verse 23. He says, there from the middle of verse 23 to them as he writes from the beginning. He says, sorry, beginning of verse 23, for I received from the law that which I also delivered to you. I received from the law that which I also delivered to you. And in order that we may understand what the apostle is doing here and what he's saying, it's important that we look at two other scriptures at this point in time. If you look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and there in verse 3, the apostle says in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. But I want us especially to look at what he says in Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12. The same apostle writing to the Galatians, he says, For I neither received it from uh, from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in these two scriptures, you can see clearly what the apostle Paul is saying. The apostle Paul, writing both to the Corinthians and the Galatians, he is saying to them, very, very clearly that I received the details of the gospel that I preached not from man. I received them, as it were, directly from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I received direct revelation from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, not through any human intermediary. And in other places, he tells them, When I went to Jerusalem, they compared the gospel that they had with the Lord and what I had received. And they could see they were exactly the same. But I did not receive it from any man. I received it directly from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see what the apostle is making and the point that he's making to them at this point in time. He's making a very outstanding claim at this point in time as he writes to the churches. This is a great claim, especially as he writes to the Corinthian church here. He condemns their celebration of the Lord's Supper. But now he says and he asserts, authoritatively, this is what I received, And I received directly, he is saying, from our Lord Jesus Christ, not from man. And this is how we ought to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is how we ought to conduct ourselves at the Lord's Supper. And this outstanding claim, remember, he is making it, when you think of the fact that the gospel had been heard by many before Saul of Tarsus was converted. And certainly, it had been heard by many before Saul became the Apostle Paul. Before he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. This gospel had been imparted to others. So that long before he imparted this message, which he claims to have received authoritatively and directly from the Lord, many had heard it. Many had been told. And when you think even of the early churches, the ones that had heard the gospel, the ones who were living churches, and am practicing all that the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded. When you think of the fact that these young churches, as they received the gospel, they also received teaching concerning the Lord's Supper and how to conduct themselves at the Lord's Supper. They had received it. And now he says, this is what I received directly from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the original, the apostle puts the I in the primary place. That is right from the beginning. The emphasis is upon the I. I received, he says. And I received directly from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling the churches that his authority did not come from any man. But it came directly from our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's emphasizing here the fact that the Lord spoke to him directly. He received from the Lord directly concerning this great matter of the Lord's Supper, not from any human being. And all the guidelines that the apostle received on the Lord's Supper is what now he is writing. And by the way, he is making the Corinthian church to understand that already. He had transmitted all that he had received from the Lord to them. And by doing that, he is saying that makes it all the more unacceptable. Your behavior, your misbehavior, your misconduct at the Lord's Supper is all the more deplorable, unacceptable, and inexcusable based on the claim of ignorance because I delivered it to you. You should know better. You should have known better. You cannot claim ignorance. You have no excuse whatsoever, the Apostle Paul is saying, for behaving that way at the Lord's table. And then he goes on now, in the second place, instruction from the Lord. And he gives them the instruction that he received from the Lord. And so, writing now from the middle, of verse 23, the Apostle says, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he talks about the same night in which he was betrayed, was betrayed there literally means was being delivered. So in the same night in which he was being delivered, it was a process that took place. It wasn't something that happened instantly. So while he was being delivered, at that time when the Lord Jesus Christ was being delivered, this was what he did. He took bread. So that the Lord Jesus, knowing fully the plan, knowing what Judas was up to, he says, uh, Paul says to us here, even though he knew exactly what was going on, he knew what Judas was up to. The Lord Jesus Christ refused to give up this established means of grace. He proceeded with it. While the plan, while the treachery was going on, while it was in process, our Lord Jesus was busy. And this is what he was doing. He will not be distracted. And he was not going to Overlook or forfeit this means of grace that he has instituted for us even now. And so in verse 24, Paul tells us, After giving thanks, the Lord Jesus Christ broke the bread and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Lord Jesus, he took bread. And after he has broken it, he said to them, this is my body which is broken for you. Broken here means which is slain for you, or which is given for you. If you look at Luke's gospel, and there in chapter 22 of Luke, and in verse 19, you see there, Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, the Lord said, this is my body which is given for you given, is slain for you. This is what he's talking about. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ says. This do, and when he says this do, he means continue to do or continue doing. This is what you are to continue doing so that it is something that you continue as a process doing in order that I may be remembered as he who died For your sins, as he who died to save you from your sins. And in verse 25, the apostle continues, says, In the same manner. And that means the Lord Jesus Christ did with the cup just as he did with the bread. In the same manner. In the same way. He did with the wine just as he did with the bread. Verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when he talks about this covenant, mm-hmm. a new covenant, of course, that is in relation to the covenant that the Lord made with Moses in Exodus 24 and verse 8. And the fact that he said through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, 31, that he will make a new covenant with his people. And this is the new covenant that the apostle is referring to here. And this covenant is called new here because it is new in reference to the covenant that the Lord made with Moses. And the blood that is used here for the covenant, that blood that ratifies the covenant, is no longer the blood of bulls and animals which were used in the old testament it is the blood of the son of god himself our lord and our savior the lord jesus christ it is christ's own blood that is now ratifying this covenant new because in christ no longer the blood of animals but, but the blood of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that which ratifies this covenant. And Then he says again there in verse 25, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And that makes it very plain. What we emphasize in verse 24 here, the Lord makes it very plain that he was setting a perpetual memorial for the church. Something that was to be continuous. Not a once-for-all event, but a perpetual, a continuous event within the church. And then thirdly, we now have application by the Apostle Paul in verse 26. And when Paul writes in verse 26 and says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, he's making an application. He's applying what he has said in verse 25. Remember in verse 25, the Lord Jesus Christ said, this do as often as you drink it. And the Apostle Paul has taken that part and he is now applying it, as it were, to the Corinthians and to us at this point in time. As often as you drink it. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here and making clear to the Corinthians, as he's making to us at this point in time is this. He's saying just as the Passover was a perpetual memorial of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and a prediction of the coming and the death of the Messiah, the Christ, just as that was the case, especially with the Passover, he is saying here that the Lord's Supper proclaims Christ's death And it proclaims his death as the Lamb of God who was to come and to bear the sins of the world. This is the proclamation. And it is proclaiming also a pledge of the fact that he who came and shed his blood in order to save sinners is coming again till he comes. He will come again second time. And we know he is not coming as a baby in a manger no he is coming as the lord of lords and the king of kings and he is coming to be the judge of the whole world no more as a baby judge of the universe king of kings and lord of lords and the apostle paul uses the word here to proclaim for as often he says as you eat this bread and drink, drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death till he comes. Now he's used the word already in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and there in verse 1 and I brethren when I came to you did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, declaring proclaiming to you the testimony of God. This is The same word that is translated for for us here as declaring. And in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and there in verse 14, we have it as well. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, those who proclaim the gospel, should live from the gospel. It's the same word that is translated here as preaching, as declaring, here as proclaiming. So when he says as long as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. The context that we have referred to show that this clearly means you communicate. It is a communication of information to men that the apostle is talking about. So as long as you celebrate the Lord's Supper in God give, in the God-given order and the God-given way, then you are communicating. You're sending a message. So that here believers are not presenting something to God like a sacrifice as the Roman Catholics who want us to believe in their celebration of their Mass. It's not a sacrifice. You are communicating. You are declaring. You are proclaiming. This is what you are doing. And believers here, when they remember Christ's death, they do that by announcing it visually. They are proclaiming. It's a symbol. It's a sign. So they are communicating. They are announcing it in a visual form. It was. A, it is a visual expression of. A reality that which has happened and they are communicating or announcing this to one another. First of all it is for their own mutual comfort. So when believers celebrate it is for their own mutual comfort first and foremost. They are reminding themselves of the fact that yes The Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died in our place, but that's not the end. He rose again. And so they are also communicating and declaring to one another the fact that he is coming again. And they are to do this until he comes. This is what they are doing. Comforting one another, even in this way. Wretched sinners we are, but he died in our place. Our sins have been removed, and he is coming again. We struggle with sin now, but when he comes, everything will be perfect. Then we will be with him in glory. But in addition to that, believers are also announcing to the world the fact that Christ died, and they are announcing it visually. They are saying to the world, see how the Lord Jesus Christ loved us. And gave himself for us. He died for us. See. So that we can be delivered from our sins. And not only that. You also can be delivered from your sins. This is what we are saying to the world. This is what believers are communicating. This is what they are declaring. This is what they are preaching to the world. The fact that he loved them. Died for them. He has saved them. He's coming again to take them. But he doesn't stop there. He can do the same for those who are seeing, for those who are watching, and for those who are hearing. And this is why it is absolutely essential for true and genuine believers to attend the the Lord's Supper. Because in partaking together in this way, we are declaring. We are communicating. We are preaching. We are proclaiming the Lord's death. As I finish, clearly, that tells us that only truly born-again believers can genuinely partake of the Lord's Supper. Only they can partake of this supper by faith because they have come to believe in him and to know him, come to know truly is to have everlasting life. In Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. The unbeliever is at enmity against God. This is what he says. And just as no one promotes the cause of his enemies, we don't expect unbelievers to promote the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are enmity. They cannot truly promote his cause. So they cannot proclaim. They cannot genuinely declare. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ because they don't believe in Him. They have not trusted in Him who is able to save. And so, only true believers who, in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, have gone through the waters of baptism can genuinely partake of the Lord's Supper. In the second place, you will notice also that only true believers can, can partake with reverence to the holiness of the true and the living God, and with reverence to his justice. An unbeliever, if he comes, it means nothing to him. He cannot come reverentially. Only a true believer can do that. Only true believers can partake with hearts that mourn for sin. The unbeliever cherishes, rejoices in his sin. He cannot come mourning for his sin, And a broken Christ truly must be remembered with a broken heart. Only true believers can partake with strong resolutions against sin. The unbeliever plans for his next sin or sinful activity. Only a true believer wants God to deliver him from his sinful ways. We don't want those partaking to partake as Christians, if you like, at the Lord's table, and then to be devils, either at home or at work or in other places. No. In verses 27 to 29 of 1 Corinthians 11, The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Finally, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Deliverance from sin, deliverance from the curse, and deliverance from the wrath of God is impossible with man. Man cannot deliver himself, man cannot save himself. So God sent his Son, his only begotten Son, in our nature, his one and only Son, to save us freely to save us fully, and to save us eternally. And the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the good news of our salvation, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. That is what the gospel is all about. It sets before us all that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished, all that he has done for wretched sinners. It sets it before us very clearly. It has all that we could ever need in our miserable state as wretched sinners. Everything that is necessary for to deliver miserable sinners from their miserable sins is all there in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is full of grace and glory, and it invites us to receive it and to accept it freely. That's what the gospel does. It requires nothing of merit from us, for we can never merit it. We can never earn it. We can never deserve it. It offers Salvation, eternal salvation to sinners freely. And so will you receive it? Will you accept it? It is only when you have received and accepted it by faith in the Son of God that you can then join with all true believers to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So will you receive it? Will you believe? Let us pray.